Welcome to Grieving Out Loud. I'm Angela Kennecke. Recently, I went to a DEA conference in the Midwest specifically for parents who have lost a child to fentanyl poisoning. It was a really emotional experience. But I met with some amazing parents there who want to share with you. Over the next three weeks, we'll be hearing their stories of coping with the devastating loss of a child to fentanyl. Among the parents I spoke with were two moms who met at a support group and became fast friends because they had so much in common. Both women lost their adult sons after years of battling addiction. Their stories are powerful and heartbreaking, and I can't wait to share them with you. We're losing someone every five minutes. Right. Why is this not all over the news? Why are the politicians not involved? Why, why isn't stuff being changed to prevent another mom sitting here? He wasn't the only one of his, in his friend group that went down that road. One friend he lost literally two months before he died. He lost another friend to overdose. The core focus is they felt the need to self-medicate for a reason. So focusing on the prevention side is so huge because if we could prevent them from feeling the need to self-medicate, it wouldn't matter what the drug was or how many times we wouldn't be having a funeral. Mothers on a mission on this episode of Grieving Out Loud. My son had a conversation with me and said, Mom, you love unconditionally. Like, you don't judge people, and it's kind of cool, but it's kind of weird. And I think you should really think about doing some sort of outreach to help people like me. Then he died. Wow. I'm a mom on a mission, and I am shouting it from the rooftops to every person that's willing to listen. And if you're not willing to listen, I'm going to invite you in anyway, because you're going to hear what I have to say. Thank you so much, Natalie and Anne, for joining me for this podcast. We're meeting under some interesting circumstances. We are here at the DEA conference on fentanyl for parents who've lost children. You guys walked in the room about five minutes ago and I was like, oh, here are my people right away. Right away. I could see that. I could see your hearts. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah. And you're both from Iowa. Yes. Yes. And you both lost sons. Yes. Yes. Can we start with you, Anne? Tell me about your son, Daniel, and what happened. My son, Daniel, is amazing. He was a typical kid growing up, played hockey, did all the things. He did end up using substances. Our journey was about almost 12 full years of substance use disorder. He did end up on the streets. He did end up being one of the kids under the bridges. He hopped trains all over the country. And it was a long journey, but he did finally end up in treatment and he was doing a recovery for over six months. And then one Sunday during COVID, we had church at home. And I remember right after church was over, the sheriff pulled in my driveway and brought that news that, that nobody wants. So we lost him to a polysubstance overdose. He had several different substances in his system and fentanyl was one of them, but that's not what killed him. It was the combination of all the different substances. It strikes me that you had 12 years of sleepless nights, pain. I don't think anybody really understands unless they've been through this. Yes, I cannot tell you the amount of sleepless nights and I cannot tell you the amount of tears. A lot, a lot. And not knowing when that call was going to come. And then it comes. 
And then it came. And the worst part was that we were literally on the mountaintop screaming, screaming, praise the Lord. We finally made it. He's in treatment. He's doing great. He's been. You had hope. He's been in. Yes, I did. Like fully. And, and then boom, just like that. Just like that. Which and the medical examiner told me that most likely because he had no substances in him for so long that when that happened, that's what stopped his heart because his body couldn't handle what he did handle at one point in his journey. Right. It's a common story that people go back to using after they haven't used for a while. And that's when they die because they think they can use what they had before. Yes. I'm so sorry. Thank you. And he left behind a daughter. He did. She is the biggest blessing in my life. And you're a grandparent raising a grandchild. I am. And I don't know how I lived without her in my life. So (laughs) she is amazing. She is in fourth grade. She is amazing in school. She's getting all great grades and she misses her dad. She understands addiction. Unfortunately, that's something that we... She understands addiction and she's nine? Yeah, absolutely. She at her school started a club called Steps of Hope because that's what we're doing is Steps of Hope Overdose Awareness. So she decided that at school she needed to talk about it as well so that we can break the stigma because that's a big thing. And so at nine years old, she came home and said, Grandma, can I have some of those free giveaways that you take to the walk? And I said, "Okay, what for? Well, I started this club at school called Steps of Hope. And she's passing out the things at school and her friends show up at the walk in support. So that's a big deal. That is amazing. That is amazing. And you are among the millions of grandparents raising grandchildren because of the drug problems that we have in this nation, not just because people have died, because people are in prison, because people are using. Right. And it's so prevalent now. I think that people forget about that aspect of this crisis that we're in. Yes. And the effect on the children, the effect on people's children. Yes. Substance use disorder has an effect on everybody. And if you haven't been affected, you're going to be affected. So I always tell people it's better to get on the front end of prevention and awareness than to be on the back end when I'm wearing the picture of my son on my shirt. Right. It must break your heart for your granddaughter, though. It absolutely does. We just had the memorial bench placed at the cemetery and we were excited. We went to see it, pulled up and she said, Grandma, I can't get out of the car. Right. Yeah. It meltdown. I said, it's okay. It's okay. When you're ready, we'll come back. You You guys are in grief together. Yep. We are absolutely in this together. And she sees when I start, my eyes start tearing up and she always comes running. Grandma, you know, we're in this together. I'm Mm -hmm. like, and I just hug her. That's what we do. We hug a lot. And she is amazing. And Natalie, I want to ask you about your son. I hear on your podcast, you talk a lot about sensitive kids. Yes. And that was Zach. He was sensitive from birth. So kind, so nurturing, so caring, and just so sensitive. I have a question. Was he sensitive to tastes and textures and things like that too? Sensory things or just sensitive emotionally? Emotionally. Because I would say my Emily was both. And I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah. No, sensitive to people. And in school, he had so many friends. He was a friend to everybody, which was why he had so many friends. He never fell into the, you know, making fun of classmates, never making fun of others that were different. I mean, he just cared about everybody and went out of his way to make sure that everybody knew it. But I think also sensitivity 
was detrimental. I think that many, many people who fall into substance use disorder, the world is just too yeah. difficult. Yeah. Right. It's a cruel world. Right. It, it is. Yeah. Right. And what happened with Zach? Zach and several of his friends went to Iowa City after they graduated high school. And That's where I went to school? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And the four boys, lived, they lived together. One of his friends ended up having to go home because he wasn't doing well. And his parents said, we're not going to pay for you to go to college if you're not going to do well. So he moved home shortly thereafter. He committed suicide. And Zach and several of his friends, I don't think they knew how to handle it. And several of them went on the path of drugs. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't experiment prior to that. I'm not saying that, you know, we had... But that was the tipping point. That was the tipping point for the harder drugs. And he wasn't the only one of his, in his friend group that went down that road. One friend, he lost literally two months before he died. He lost another friend to overdose. So between college and when Zach died, we went through several treatment centers you know, he tried to live his life as well as working on his treatment. So he never did anything for any long length of time or a long enough length of time for it to help. You know what I mean? He didn't stay in treatment or in some sort of recovery program. No, he didn't walk out of any, but none of them were long enough. Research shows it takes 18 to 24 months after using drugs for the brain to heal. But many treatment programs only last a few weeks and are expensive. That's why Emily's Hope has pledged hundreds of thousands of dollars toward treatment scholarships. So he would complete the treatment. And relapse. He would relapse. Mm -hmm. And he would do well for a while, and then he would relapse. He went a period of almost five years between, you know, his year 20 to 31 when he died. He did all the normal things. He had a great job. He had a girlfriend. He had a baby. How baby old together. is his daughter? She's six now. So you and Anne have very similar stories. So was it your son's death that brought the two of you together? Yes. Yes. Tell me how that happened. Well, someone wrote in to a next door app and was looking for therapy or counseling. Mm -hmm. And we talked about, you take it. Do you remember better than, than I did? Yeah, they posted because they had lost their son mm -hmm. and they were looking for a therapist. So instantly we both were commenting, you know, that we too have lost our sons and then started sharing resources. And then Natalie sent me an email and said, there's a grief group that meets on Monday. If you want to go, we could all three go together. So I said, yes. Was this group specifically for people who'd lost who'd children lost to substance? Child. No, no just, just a child, <laughs> which we'll is talk, different. We'll, we'll get to that yep. because we're actually at Emily's Hope working on starting a support group for parents like us. Yeah. Because you are judged. Yes. By people who lost their children to cancer and other things. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you go to this grief group. So we did and we met, but the third gal never showed up. So it was just Natalie and Anne. And we met outside, introduced ourselves and went inside. And even though I was almost a year further along in this journey than you were, right? Mm -hmm. But I had not 
been able to like, I didn't go to any grief groups. I didn't, I really hadn't done anything other than why a not? few grief share. Why not? And I hadn't either. Yeah. Yeah. Why I, not? I didn't. Were you, were you embarrassed? Were no, you? No. I didn't have it in me to do anything. Yeah. I gotcha. Same. All I, I gotcha. wanted to do was sit and cry. Yeah. And I, I went back to my life. You know, it was like I lived in not a, not so much a denial, but I, I just didn't, I didn't focus on that. You know what I mean? I tried not to. You tried to. I tried not to. Compartmentalize. But put yes, it in the absolutely. back drawer absolutely. somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I stayed home a lot. I just stayed home a lot because I didn't, I didn't. Didn't want to talk to people about it. Didn't want to talk. People would ask you if yes. I bet people who knew you, if you went places and did things. Yes. I just was not ready to get back to life. I went to work and I, you know, did my granddaughter's stuff and that kind of thing. But yeah, I didn't, I wasn't ready for anything else until. This email or this message on the Nextdoor app, I just kind of, it just kind of sparked in me. Maybe I should give that a try. Maybe I'm ready to give that a try. And then to have somebody to go with. Right. Made all the difference in the world. Yes. And then we went to the group. We did the thing. And then we came outside and we sat there and talked for an hour and a half about our stories and our, our similarities and and the fact that Okay, granted, this was about a loss of a child, but we're different. We're different. And we, I think we were the only ones there yes, that we had were. lost a child to substance use rather yes. than cancer or an accident. Yes. Or, yeah. Although it's becoming more and more common. When I was at that bereaved parents conference this summer, a number of us had lost children to fentanyl. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there were lots of other reasons why people had lost kids there. But those numbers are unfortunately right. You know, yeah. with nearly 299 people dying every day, unfortunately, those numbers are growing and yeah. and there are a lot more of us. Yes. But you're right. I mean, I just think I wrote a blog called My Child Died Too, but not from drugs. You know, I get that almost everywhere I go. Oh, yeah. And people oh, yeah. are trying to say I can relate to what you've gone through. But at the same time, yeah. in a way, they're judging me or they don't want me to judge them or their child. I don't know what it is, but... That's part of our society. It right. just is, right? You, you've all gotten that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you kept talking after the grief group. Yes. We found another grief group. Yeah. And this one was specific to mm-hmm. children of overdose, children that had died of overdose. And that one, I think we just stopped going to the other one altogether. Right. And then started. How going was to this that one, one different than the first? I'm, I'm curious because we're working on this project at Emily's Hope. So how was. The grief group for parents who've lost children from a stigmatized death like substance use disorder or just... Overdose is not a natural death. If you have cancer, it's a medical condition. Although addiction is a medical condition, addiction is is a disease. But they don't look at it that way. Most people don't. The culture. Culture, yes. And so therefore, this thing happened out of their control because most people... Think that they could have not thinks that this is just it. a choice. Right. So it's a natural thing, I want to say, when someone dies from a medical concern versus, well, that was their choice. They put it in their body and now they're gone. That's a consequence of a poor choice. So when we go to the other group of people who get substance use disorder fully and we compare stories, we are no longer alone. And not unique. I mean, really not unique. I stopped asking why me a long time ago and started asking why not me. Right. You know, we, our stories all have common threads that 
You know, there may be a few details that are different, but there are common right. threads. And even even the kids that just take one pill and die, there are right. common threads. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think we are not unique. We are not special. We are just suffering along with so many hundreds of thousands of other parents, right? Correct. Which is why I am very vocal about talking about it because I, love I that. truly believe yeah. that. So that's that is why I said you guys are my people. Yes. So that's how you crush the stigma. Right. Yes. It's a thing and it's everywhere. And we're losing someone every five minutes. Right. Why is this not all over the news? Why are the politicians not involved? Why why isn't stuff being changed to prevent another mom sitting here? And some of that stuff is happening, but in a, it's not the f- main focus of everything. Like when during the pandemic, what do we hear about day in, day out? COVID. Right. And I, when I speak to people, I show a slide where I talk about these numbers of deaths. And if you add on alcohol related deaths, it's about 700 deaths a day. And I show a crashed airliner because if you had a jumbo jet full of 700 people falling out of the sky every day, what would we be doing in this country? Mm-hmm. Right. It would be on the news. It would be headline. I mean, they would ground all the flights, but that is what is happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. But because it happens in the shadows mm-hmm. and because people are in one hand so grief stricken and sometimes so stigmatized and probably ashamed or don't want to talk about it. Right. You're not getting the attention on it. And because it, people still have those ideas that, oh, that happens over here to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It happens in Bondurant, Iowa. It happens in Ankeny, Iowa. It happens in every neighborhood. It happens in every tax bracket. It doesn't matter what color of skin you are. It does not discriminate. And it's knocking on your door, whether you know it or not, which is what we try to tell people so that they get it. Right. And in my son's case, he had all the support, all the resources that he could possibly have needed. And it still didn't. Right. And that's the frustrating part because people will always ask me, what can I do? How can I stop this? And there are no easy answers and there are no guarantees in every, well, there is this common thread I talked about. What works for one person to get well doesn't always work for the other person. And there's no pat answer and everybody just wants a pat answer. And I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm a researcher. So when I was dealing with some of this stuff with my daughter, I mean, I researched the heck out of it. I didn't find the answers Mm-mm. and people right. come to me and sometimes they're desperate, you know, and I don't know what to tell them. Mm-hmm. Like right. you said, your son had all the resources mm-hmm. and the support. Sh- I mean, he had, but also, art. yeah, but also if fentanyl weren't in, in the drug supply. Now in your son's case, that may not be true. And because mm-hmm. he used after a long a period of not using, but in your son's case, was it straight fentanyl? No. But no. was it the fentanyl that killed him? Natalie? No, no. No, it wasn't the fentanyl. Fentanyl was in there. Car fentanyl was in there. Car fentanyl. Now that's, we should let our listeners know that's elephant tranquilizer. And it takes like a speck of that to kill someone. Yeah. It wasn't the, it wasn't the main cause of his death. It was the combo. The combination. Yeah. That's what I was But if fentanyl hadn't been in these combinations. I don't know. Yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know. Because I do think that fentanyl is the game changer in the whole thing. Absolutely. In fact, the DEA says fentanyl is the single deadliest drug threat our nation has ever faced, and we must take every opportunity to spread the word. Just a tiny two milligram speck can be deadly. We recently spoke with addiction medicine doctor Matt Stanley about the danger. 
with opioids, sometimes it's one slip and it's fatal. I think they're playing on the street, they're playing Russian roulette every time they buy. Because you, you don't know. You don't know what you're getting. And those are deadly, deadly drugs out there. Dr. Stanley says that's why prevention is key. And that's what you ladies are focused on now. Yes, because there's a reason, regardless of what drug it is, the outcome has been the same for all of us parents. And and the core focus is they felt the need to self-medicate for a reason. So focusing on the prevention side is so huge because if we could prevent them from feeling the need to self-medicate, it wouldn't matter what the drug was or how many times we wouldn't be having a funeral. So that that is big. Right. What do you think is the main way that the loss of your sons has changed you? I had to be quiet because of stigma, because of the judgment that I would receive through our journey. If I were to help him, if I did love him unconditionally, well, you shouldn't do that. You should cut all ties. We can't talk anymore if you still talk to him. Okay, we did the court order and I told them everything. All the tough love. Yes, I did all that in the beginning and it didn't work and it was getting worse. So I did the court committal and I told them everything. And I go in front of the judge three days later and I told them long term, locked up, residential court ordered has to happen or he's going to die. Three days later, we go into the courthouse. All rise, sit down. Mr. Bailey, we're going to go ahead and release you today. You come back in a week and you'll do outpatient treatment. Don't you think it's the system is not set up to treat this disease? I agree. It's broken. It's very broken. Everywhere. Every aspect. In this country. It it doesn't matter where you go. Yes. Dr. Stanley is seeing some progress, though, including more healthcare systems getting involved in addiction treatment. We kind of, years ago, went on dichotomous systems. Addictions were done by private companies. Healthcare systems focused on chronic illnesses and acute. They're very separate systems. But as you can see with the Vera, we're saying no. This belongs in the same under the same tent. We are. This is a medical illness. This is impacting the outcomes of many, many of our community and our patients, and we want to have a direct line to treating that and treating it well. Unfortunately, those changes came too late for these two moms. That's why they're raising awareness to prevent other families from experiencing a similar loss. So it's changed you how? It has changed me because I no longer have to be quiet. I no longer have to be quiet. My son had a conversation with me and said, Mom, you love unconditionally. Like, you don't judge people. And it's kind of cool, but it's kind of weird. And I think you should really think about doing some sort of outreach to help people like me. Then he died. Wow. I'm a mom on a mission. And I am shouting it from the rooftops to every person that's willing to listen. And if you're not willing to listen, I'm going to invite you in anyway, because you're going to hear what I have to say. And I think there are power in numbers, right? So as Mm -hmm. these numbers increase, and I think it takes, I've said this a few times on my podcast, I think it takes a bunch of angry, pissed off moms to change the world. It's a righteous anger and it's there. It's a righteous anger. And plus, you mentioned that like you could speak now. I've always been very vocal but also the worst thing happened to me, happened to you and to you. Who cares if somebody doesn't like what you say? No holds barred. What is the worst thing that can happen to you? It's already happened yes. to you. And the, yes. So what have you got to lose? So if your biggest fear becomes your reality, you have no longer fear. 
It's there's no fear. You do what you have to do. Right. And it doesn't matter what people think. Right. I think that enabled me to leave my job of 33 years recently because the worst things already happened to me. So I know I can handle whatever is coming where before I was maybe more locked in for security purposes. I told Natalie on the way here, when I grow up, I'm going to be just like you. That's what I told her. I I said, I'm going to quit my job, do this steps of hope full time and do what we've got to do. You will. You will. I'm, I'm a little, I mean, my daughter died in 2018, so we didn't start off, you know, as much as we're doing now. It took four years to build to this point. And I know, I know you will. So Natalie, how has your son's death and the grief and the loss changed you? Oh, wow. In so many ways. I'm just, I'm not the same person. You no, know, I'm just not. The I same would say person. none of us are. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Is there a parent right. out there who's lost yeah. a child who's the same? Yeah. And you mourn True. the loss of that person in a way. I mourn the loss of the that I didn't think something like that could happen to me. Yeah. Sort of the ignorance. I, I mourn yeah. that per that kind of. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I never dreamed. You know, my son was so smart, and he was smart about everything, including the way he took his drugs. And I never in a million years thought that he would mess up and take too much, you know? So yeah, I, I'm more compassionate. I'm yes. way less judgmental. A hundred, I would agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. And I, when I see somebody in need, I just want to take action for them in whatever way they need. And I feel it, you know, from like inside of me, I feel it. another way that this has changed me is I'm all about self-care. Because I have absolutely have to have it. So let's talk about that for a minute, because we have a lot of parents listening to this podcast who've lost children, some very recently. Mm-hmm. What part of self-care, what have you done to take care of yourself so that you feel better? I have taken time. I mean, above above all else, I think the biggest thing that I've done for myself is to not go so much, not be so active in life. You know, I've needed to slow down. It's like forced me to slow down and take more time for myself. It's not just Natalie and Anne who've had to deal with unimaginable grief because of their son's deaths, but also their entire families. How many other kids do you have, Anne? So we have a blended family, so there's a total of six. Six kids total. Uh How has your son's death affected everybody else in the family? Well, so I will say that because of the 12 years of our journey, most of them separated themselves early, so there wasn't really a relationship. It did affect my daughter and, and my stepson the most because my stepson did have a relationship with him, and he wishes that he would have done more, but he's in a different state. So, and then my daughter, Cheyenne, she had lost her stepsister two years prior to a heroin overdose. Yeah. So, and that, that wrecked her. It did really big. And then, and then her brother. So. I think people forget about the siblings sometimes or all the young people that are affected by their siblings use. I just spoke to a group of college kids and I had a couple come up afterwards and talk to me about how their sibling was using and. You know, they're devastated. Yes. And there's a lot of guilt because 
Because they get angry, too. Like, why can't yes. yes, why can't you just act how you're supposed to? Right. And my daughter would see the hurt that I would go through and she hated it and and she hated it. So Mm -hmm. she yeah, she was mad at him. And now she's got guilt because of that. Mm -hmm. And she wishes she would have done more. Yeah. But those are just normal, natural things that happen during the course of this disease, especially how misunderstood it is. And especially for uh, like an adolescent or whoever is growing up, you know, when you're growing up with somebody right. like this, it's it's very hard. It disrupts the entire family. The whole family is just it sure does. off kilter. And they see the pain that that child is causing, that their sibling is causing their mom. Right. And it's, that's devastating for them too. Yes, it is. It changes everybody. How have people, and you can both answer this question, in your life or close to you reacted to your grief, to this loss? Have people been supportive? Have they walked away? What's happened? A little bit of both for me. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Okay. A little bit of both. We all share a similar experience. Yeah. I feel like I have a new family in my mom group. Yeah. Like we just have that bond that is, there's no words to describe it, but we just, we get each other. And that's a big deal. Yeah. I do have a church family that's always been supportive. That was one of my things after my son died. It's like, you know, nobody was there. Everybody walked away. It was always about money. We don't want to help him because it's really about money when it wasn't about money. But the the one solid foundation that I had was my church. They they were there for us. So you never had a crisis of faith in any of this? You know, here's the thing. God didn't take my son. Drugs did. The enemy of my soul had his way with my son. So my fight is with him, not with God. That That's my faith has not shattered in any way, shape or form. I do have that why question. I'll get that answered when I get there. What do you think happens after we die? Well, you're either one way or you're the other. Do you feel your sons are with you? Have you had signs or... I have. You guys are looking at each other. I wish yeah, we had we, this on video because you're, you're smiling at each other. And I, I ask because almost every parent who's lost a child, and I've had some pretty strong signs. I've talked about them and are written about them as well. And I think you can believe them or not believe them. What's right. the harm? Right. I, I absolutely believe in them. And I believe that, I mean, for the longest time after Zach died, because he he had two of his best friends that had died before him. And Zach died after, shortly after, not even a week after Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant was a huge, huge idol of Zach's. He loved him. And anyway, it brings me peace to know that, and Derek Thomas was another big idol of his. He was a Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs player that died when Zach was in elementary school or middle school. It brings me such peace to know that he is with his best friends, that he's with his idols, that, you know, he is no longer suffering. You know, that all brings me peace. It doesn't take the grief away at all, but it does bring me peace. Or the longing to be physically with your child. Right. I think that will always Absolutely. be there. To, yeah, the missing him. I mean, I miss him more than anything, but I do feel peace that that I, you know, I don't believe in a hell. I think my God loves everybody and 
he would have saved our boys, anybody's child from any sort of demon or saved in a way that they're at peace now, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was never a believer of signs, which is why we kind of giggle because I'm like, everybody talks about these signs. I don't think that's a real thing. But but then cer certain things started happening and I was going, okay, that's really weird. That's really weird. And then I'd have my meltdown and then it would be put on my heart that God leaves the 99 to save the one. And then I'm going, okay, all right, what are the chances that that he he did, you know, ask Christ into his heart. He is with him right now. Like, what are the chances? If that's the case, then hallelujah, you know, he's free. And then I'd go and I'd talk to Natalie and I would talk to my pastor. I'm like, do you believe in signs? Like, where is this in the Bible? And stuff like that. And my pastor looked at me and he goes, so you don't think that God could use certain things to kind of show you and reveal things? And it's like putting God in a box, which I was always big on. Don't ever put God in a box. He can do what he wants, right? So so then I said, well, okay, it's really odd because I'm sitting here watching TCT, Total Christian Television, on a day that I was at home doing nothing. And and all of a sudden I hear this, I'm in the bathroom and I hear this bluegrass song, which Daniel was big into like the twangy bluegrassy stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's just weird. Why are they playing music on this channel? Usually it's a ask the pastor thing. And I come around the corner and it's this bluegrass band and they are singing a song saying I took the right train. My son was a train hopper. I'm like, how does this even happen? So now I'm, I'm like, okay, this is really weird. Like there's some weird stuff going on. So I'm not going to take away from the science thing anymore just because I'm like, what are the chances? And yes, those signs can be used, whatever the faith may be, to, to give you hope. And comfort. Yes. Comfort. Yes. So, comfort. And I realized I didn't finish my thought. When I was talking about my son and the friends that went before him, I went a long time without a sign from him. And I kept thinking, why hasn't he reached out? And he was, we were very close. And he cared so much. You know, he was so caring and loving. And I'm like, why hasn't he given me some sort of a sign? And then I would tell myself, he's too busy catching up with his friends and chasing down Kobe and chasing down Derek Thomas. And, you know, and then I had a dream about him. And you remember me telling you my dream? I, I was like blubbering because of the way he came to me in my dream. And that was absolutely a sign, absolutely a sign to let me know that this is his life now, as opposed to what it was before, you know. What happened in the dream? He came to me without speaking. It was just his face. He looked way younger than he was. He looked healthy. He had he didn't have facial hair. I mean, it was just like he looked like the picture, not that facial hair isn't the picture of health. It's so popular now, but <laughs> but anyway, um he just looked so incredibly healthy and he was looking at me and he was smiling. And I kept asking him, what, what, why are you just looking at me? What? And it dawned on me after I woke up and after I gave it thought, he was letting me know I'm great. I am awesome now. This mm -hmm. is me. I'm healthy. I'm happy. And you don't have to worry about me. Well, that's wonderful. 
Yeah, it was amazing. I've not had another one since. I've only I, jumped about Emily three times in three four times? years. Yeah. Okay. So. so yeah, I've only done. It's only happened me to me the one time. My son. I asked to dream about her. Yes. You know, but it doesn't happen. Yes. And my yeah. middle son. How many kids do you have? I have three. I mean, two now. Two living. Two right. living sons. But my middle son had this a, a dream about Zach much earlier, and it was the exact same idea. He came to him, like he was driving this little train like thing or a car, race car kind of thing. And then there was like a hooded something, something blocking who was driving this vehicle. And my son said, as he got closer, it opened up and there was Zach sitting there and he just had a smile on his face. He didn't say anything. He just had a smile on his face looking looking at him. And he totally, totally was like, this is, and he told me this like maybe a year, year before I had my dream. And then I had my dream and it, they were so similar, but I find feathers all the time in the craziest places. And that's another, another sign. And I save them. I save them all in a little dish in my room. How many have you found? I have not counted them. Is it a, is a dish full? No, it's not full. It's not full, mm. but there are a lot, mm. a lot. As mm. a matter of fact, just yesterday, there was one sitting on my couch, a little, little tiny feather just sitting on my couch when I went to sit down. So where do we go from here? What's next for you guys? Well, I've got the Steps of Hope Iowa, which crazy enough became a nonprofit in the state of Iowa, October 28th which is almost two years to Congratulations. Date. Thanks. I think <laughs> it's bittersweet, right? It's like, I'd rather have my right. kid. Which oh, of course. Get, and of course. But you are making, you're making the most out of what life has handed you. You, you know, we've all had, I say that deep, dark night of the soul. Right. Right. And you can allow it to take you on another path or you can shut down or ignore it or try to go on with life as normal. And I think when you choose to follow that unknown path, it can lead to many miracles and blessings. Doesn't take away anything from the loss. Right. It doesn't make the loss better. Right. It just makes your life different. Well, the day the sheriff gave me my news, I had a stirring in my soul like no other that God was going to do something. And I did not know what that was. I had no clue and I didn't care. Like, okay, whatever. But it was there and it was very strong. So at his service, I told everybody, God's going to do something and I don't know what. But I know that he took the cross and he made it into something beautiful. So he's going to take this tragedy and he's going to do something beautiful with it. And I don't know what that is. I have no clue. But I believe that it's going to happen because of how strong this is. And sure enough, you know, I prayed about it and Six months after he had passed, we had our first annual Steps of, it was not Steps of Hope, it was an overdose awareness walk, which I literally reached out to another mom from another organization and said, what am I supposed to do? What's the first step? I don't know what I'm doing and I'm in brain fog and I can't function. She said, oh, just create a Facebook event page and show up to walk. Okay, that sounded simple. So a person from my church, I called her, I said, here's what I've got to do. And she said, all right. I'm going to do it with you. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it on his birthday every year, no matter what what day of the week it is. And I went, okay, but there won't be people showing up if it's on a weekday. And she said, I know you. You'll sit at home and cry every year. Instead, you're going to honor your son by doing what he asked you to do and helping people. And it's going to bring you joy. And it's going to do something for you. And we're going to do it on his birthday every year. 
And I went, that makes sense. Someone had to make sense. She did. So we did the thing on the first year. Second year, Lord, are we going to do this again? This year he changed it up and he said steps of hope. I love how you use hope in your name. That's why, I mean, we none of us have lost hope, right? And I, I was desperate for hope at that point in my journey. And I thought, okay, I need hope. Who doesn't need hope? So let's do the thing. And it has just, the things that have just fallen into my lap, I haven't gone out searching or marketing or any, it's just, it's all just happening. And so I, people are like, well, are you going to quit your job and do this full time? I'm like, none of what in the last two years that's happened in my life has been anything that I've had intentions of. So what I'm going to do, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So have you been raising funds as well as doing the walk then? No, I just Not pay yet. for everything out of my pocket. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. I know. You need to get some sponsors for that walk but of you yours, But you know what Anne. that is? You know what that is? It's part of my problem that I need to work on because of the money scenario of 12 years of nobody wanting to help. And I just have to figure this out and do these things on my own. That's what this is. And now, now I had no intention of being a nonprofit. I had no intentions of doing any of this, but now I'm forced to become a nonprofit because other organizations in this last year have said, we want to help you, but we can't unless you're a nonprofit. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to do that either, but we'll get through it. And someone from my church actually helped me do that. So wonderful. Yeah. So here we are. And Natalie, are you doing anything to honor Zach? I do a lot of things, but they are quiet things. You know, that's okay. There are things. That's all that matters. Yep. Yeah. Give me an example. uh, Well, I had these cards made and they talk about Zach and the bright light he was in so many people's lives. And I ask for, I give it to someone along with something else. And I ask on the card for them to just pass it along. Any act of kindness, anything you can do for someone else. It can be anything that they pass it along and you know, keep shining Zach's light, keep Zach's light shining in this world in kindness to others. I think that's beautiful. And I think that's the right thing for you to do. Yes. Yes. Right. It might be right for Anne to start a nonprofit, but it's right for Natalie to pay it forward and pass along acts of kindness in Zach's name. Yes. So you're both doing the right things. Yes. And I don't think we should ever compare ourselves to other people or what other people are doing. You know, what I did, I did because I had a platform. Right. And I thought I got to use it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. and there's now- a huge puzzle and every person has a piece to that puzzle. And by putting that puzzle together, we're going to make a difference. It's we a are. together thing. Yep, we are. I, I met you guys about an hour ago and I already know that you guys are making a huge difference. And together we have to do it together. Absolutely. That's the thing. Yep. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks thank for you. having us. Yeah. Thank and thanks you. for what you do. Absolutely. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Grieving Out Loud. If you want to hear more podcasts, read my blog, or find resources for help, check out our website at emilyshope.charity. We have some really interesting episodes coming up from our DEA conference series, including one with a bereaved parent who lost her son to fentanyl after buying what he thought was a Percocet on Snapchat. We'll also hear from a mother whose daughter died after buying drugs from her stepbrother who then tragically took his own life. While these stories are painful, I believe that by sharing our struggles, 
we can lessen the suffering of others. So let's keep walking through life together. And until next time, wishing you faith, hope, and courage. And don't forget, if you found this podcast valuable, we would greatly appreciate a positive review. It helps us spread our mission and reduce stigma surrounding substance use disorder and connecting more people with treatment.